Hello, everyone. Welcome to From Nord to Nothing, Mystery Philosophy Theater 9000. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology. And with me is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. Today, we're looking at a scene from the TV show The Mandalorian, in which the titular character and his mismatched group of mavericks attempt to evade the remnants of the Imperial Empire, who seek to steal from the rebels one of their own. In their attempts to keep the child, aka Grogu, aka Baby Yoda, safe, the group comes upon a desperate situation where a tough choice has to be made. Our scene today focuses on an exchange between the former assassin turned nanny droid IG-11 and the Mandalorian. Okay, so um, there's a good chance probably quite a few of our, our viewers have seen the Mandalorian. It was, it was a huge hit. Um, and, and internationally, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so for some context, this is the, the last episode of the first season, and um, the Empire is trying to uh, steal Baby Yoda here because uh, they want to sort of harness his force powers. And um, the Mandalorian and, and his group here is attempting to protect him. And uh, the IG-11 droid was an assassin droid originally. It got reprogrammed to be a, a nanny droid for, for the child. Yeah. Um, and the Mandalorian never has a deep distrust of droids in general, um, and this droid specifically because of its original programming and because of his, um, you know, connection with the child. Yeah. Um, he never quite trusts him. And uh, as as an interesting philosophical note and sort of a nerdy deep dive into Star Wars legend. Um, there was a book written about these types of droids. The IG droids are all assassin droids. And um, back in a book written in the late 90s, I think, um, they were all made on one planet. Oh. And um, what eventually happened is there's different series, the IG-11, and then it goes up in, in 11s, so 22 and 33 and so on and so forth. Um, eventually, they made it in a really advanced version, IG-88, um, who you've seen in the original Star Wars movies alongside Boba Fett and Bosk and the, the other bounty hunters with Darth Vader and stuff. And uh, the story behind IG-88 was um, these robots were being made at a factory and they kept making them more and more advanced. And then eventually IG-88 actually became conscious and <laughs> took over the planet, killed the few humans who were running the machines and started, you know, um, stopped production. Sci-fi. Yeah, 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 stopped yeah. production and, and went off on his own as a bounty hunter. Um, who is conscious. So from, from a philosophical standpoint, that's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. um, the power of thinking about the power of consciousness and, and, you know, not only that, but after he um, became conscious, what he decided to do and that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. And um, how that is um, sort of uh, opposed to the IG 11 story. They, it seems like they both achieve some level of, um, of awareness, but one becomes um, sort of, uh, leans into what he was created to do, and the other one is programmed to do exactly the opposite. Yes, yeah. So we'll play this first section. Flat. 
So as we can see here, you know, they're attempting to escape. Um, they've been evading the Imperials for a long time. They get on this boat, this sort of ancient gondola droid is, is pushing them down river. Um, they, they think that they're, they're clear. Mandalorian uses this technology to find out that they're, they're walking right into a trap. You know, the, 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 the beginning of that, uh, should we talk about this now or wait? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, when the the sort of R2-D2 type droid starts to shake off the lava encrustation on itself and begins to rise, as soon as it starts to move, all of their guns are out. Hmm. All right. It's almost simultaneously, John Woo film kind of thing. And, and they don't fire, but the distrust of, of mechanism is implied just in... in in that thing. Yeah. The first thing is, this is probably going to be destructive to us. Um, but they wait. And I think that that's, that's something we can come back to with that too. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, looking at, at star Wars and really any other kind of sci-fi, um, the interactions between humans and droids or humans and, and aliens and this type of stuff. I mean, look at the, look at the group, right? There's no aliens in this group other than baby Yoda. Right. Who you could it could be argued as is there um, given his his sort of cute properties. Right. He's got these big eyes and ears and, and he has some some appeal to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the idea of alienness itself. She I for, uh, is 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 from a different world, but she's walked all kinds of worlds. Her original world is destroyed. Mandalorian has walked all kinds of places. So his point of origin is his home world, but he's an alien in other places, unless it's just such a pan, uh, uh, a, a pan cultural experience that you walk on any planet and it's it's all the same. Yeah, and and that's pretty pretty obviously not true with Star Wars because um, as you they you sort of see in episode or uh, season two. Um, our Mandalorian runs into other Mandalorians and they have a deep schism between their beliefs and values and things. Um, But yeah, much less like you said, the different backgrounds that all the other characters are from um, showing that just because they might be human and even being the same race of human and all of these other things, it doesn't connect them um, on on the same level. Stormtroopers, they're flanking the mouth of the tunnel. It looks like an entire platoon. They must know we're coming. Stop the boat. Hey, Jordan! I said stop the boat. Hey, I'm talking to you. I said stop. So there we go with this sort of distrust of droids, right? She gives him essentially two chances. And on the second chance is already drawing and and blasting him, right? So... And it makes so there's a couple questions here. You know, one of them is is what you were just mentioning, this sort of distrust of of technology. And the other part of it is um the droid's intent, right? There because there could be a lot of things going on, right? Perhaps the droid has some sort of imperial connections and he would keep them going downstream. He's been he's been programmed by the stormtroopers. Right. Yeah. Perhaps it's just his regular programming that once he's on a route, he doesn't stop until he's finished with it. <laughs> Perhaps after being encrusted in lava for who knows how long, his programming is faulty. Like, there's a lot of different scenarios. 
Um, or, you know, maybe it was just a delay. Maybe there's something that has to happen before he stops pushing. You know, there's a certain amount of time that has to elapse. And she or, wasn't going to wait for it. Right, right. But it's, that's sort of an interesting scenario. And then where we've stopped here, look at Baby Yoda looking up at her after she's blasted this droid away. And that's sort of a common, it's it's an unspoken but common trope throughout the series is um, as you see these these adult things happening, you know, the show is by no means adult compared to other um, no, shows but but um even though it's it's put in a um a more uh, pg sort of frame of of reference the acts that are happening are still very heavy um ad- adult scenarios yes, they are. and they all they always do go they do a good job of showing these these scenes very briefly very quickly they don't talk about them but you see that it's having an impact yeah, on that, this, that's the question on that and Grogu's face is why mm-hmm. uh, it's it's not it's it's not quite judgmental, but it's um, it's might be disdain. It might be why. It might be that was not necessary. It might be and 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 sh- and the fact that she fires out of panic. Hmm. This character, uh, Cara Dune, yeah, yeah Cara Dune, all across the. F- the episodes of when she appeared, I very seldom saw her panicked. Hmm. This was stop it, stop it now. Well, part of that is because of her history with the the Imperials, but I think it says something about okay, I told you to stop, bam, I'm going to zap you because that are all of, a, of the gun issues on this planet that brings some things up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's certainly um, there's there's aspects of the character. She says something interesting there which is um you know well actually i don't know if we've seen it yet or if it's coming up but um essentially the mandalorian says there's too many of them for us to fight and she says i can't be captured you know yeah that that part yeah yeah so it makes you wonder you know the mandalorian i mean he's obviously no stranger to combat himself but when he says there's too many to fight um you know what sort of alternative scenarios are going through his head is he considering being captured is he you know what they don't really right. expound upon that because it's sort of a quick it's a bam bam scene as in any action movie right they have they have to make a split second decision in order to survive but it, it that question sort of lingers like if he said there's too many to fight what was he thinking yes it, our alternatives and what and what has led her to the panic is it is it the the, the classic um i'm female and so i'm more in danger that's seems not quite in her character frame is it the is it because uh, she does not want to reveal the things that she knows is it because of her it's just fear generally of the empire and putting up all the front of, so yeah what's going through her mind is just as interesting as what's going through his yeah yeah i think that my inclination would be she's she's really the only person on this boat that's clearly associated um, with the New Republic, mm. which is formerly the Rebel Alliance, which is well, that's true. Which yes. is the arch nemesis of the Empire. So I think that yeah, you're probably right. She she probably has images of torture and and you know all all sort of mistreatment and yeah, yeah running yeah. through her head. Yeah. Um, and just one last note before we keep moving on is Baby Yoda here, right? Baby is a misnomer because as we know, Yoda lived to be 900 years old. <laughs> um, so we we don't know for sure how old Grogu is. And we don't know for sure what his um, m- mental capacities are at this stage of his development. There's a good chance he might have 
um, a brain that was, is similar to an adult working human brain. It sure seems that from, again, the, some of the expressions you see in the mm-hmm. various episodes, it's, it's not like a, a child, like, I don't know. This, this has the, this has wisdom yeah. in it, this, this little glance. Yeah. And it raises that, that, you know, the, the importance uh, to philosophy and life in general of language, you know, um, there's, there's so many things that even, you know, with a, a, a large mental ability, without language um, and the ability to communicate, some of that is is can be lost and misinterpreted in ways that that you know we don't even know about. That's true. We're still moving. Looks like we fight. There are too many. Well, then what do you suggest? Because I can't surrender. They will not be satisfied with anything. Like- yeah, so that's that scene that I was just talking about. Um, we hadn't we hadn't seen it yet, but yeah, you again, you can hear the the panic in her voice a little bit. You're right, Mando as usual is pretty even keeled, mm-hmm. um, but it's sort of funny. I mean, you've seen them up to this point um, fighting a lot of Imperials. Um, Mandalorian came very close to to death. He was he was injured very badly, mm-hmm. um, and so. This this specter of, of upcoming combat, um, he's just sort of saying, you know, logically, well, we can't win this one. And she's but she's panicking. She's saying we we have to win this. Yeah, you know? Right. I, I can't surrender. Well, that's not the same thing as I can't have them take me. I, I can't surrender suggests that, that she is concerned about the knowledge she has, uh, as well as a standard sane human fear of, of the what the Imperials might do. Um but then there's always that option. I, I remember watching this scene the first time when she said they can't surrender. I'm thinking, well, then you can blast yourself or ask Mando to blast you if before. I mean, that's not exactly the ticket out one wants, but it, that doesn't seem to get raised. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, you know, again, it, that is uh, an interesting, interesting scenario. And as, as we'll look in more into the scene, it, it appears that there are alternative ways that this could have gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's easy to take it clip by clip and say, well, why didn't they do this or why did they do that? Um, but again, but we're, looking at, the whole yeah, we're looking at like two and a half minutes, minutes. or something. Yeah. And <laughs> who knows with, with your adrenaline pumping and with all of this other stuff going on, what sort of, what sort of decisions you'd make. Yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing we should probably mention in light of, of world events, right? You and I were talking about it before the show. Yeah. Um, the context from which you're operating plays a large part in how you react to situations like this, right? I mean, again, we're we're talking about Kira Dune's background as as a rebel and and being on the opposite side of the empire and what the the prospect of of capture right. uh, means to her versus the Mandalorian, and as we'll see, to the IG droid um, and his his programming and protocol mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, and, and looking at the world stage and seeing as we look at how things unfold between countries um, with superior firepower um, and looking out for their own interests um, and, and how it affects uh, smaller countries as a whole and the individuals in those countries. And how they choose to rebel. Right. So Ukraine is, you know, here though. This character, Carrie, sometimes reminds me of, of this kind of person, the, the, the elderly woman who was tossing sunflower seeds at, at Russian soldiers. 
and saying, put these in your pocket so when you die, flowers will grow where you are. <laughs> that's some grandma, you know. That's right. a, but but the, that or 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 the the science changing the signs so the soldiers won't know which road they're going on or something. I mean, that just it, it brings the idea of rebel. Uh, as you know, very much. Yeah, this is fiction. It's fun fiction. It's interesting. But it also generates ideas. But what does a rebel do? A rebel is somebody who's outmatched, mm. uh, perhaps in technology, uh, but not in spirit. Um, but the the overwhelming probability is that that gets quashed sooner or later when you run out of. It's not like Star Wars on our planet. We don't have endless resources. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and you look at, um, you know, I, I think that the Mandalorian is being, uh, you know, if, in this scenario, if if, if the Empire is Russia, if Cara Dune's Ukraine, maybe the Mando's sort of like the U.S. Right? You're you're sort of viewing things with this sort of cold objectivity, and and, and well, what's best for you know our interests and, and what we're going to mm-hmm, do here, mm-hmm. um, and it's really it puts you in a in a tough spot in terms of looking at the right and wrong of things. And you and I have talked about, we'll probably do a whole episode on, on war here, maybe next week or, or yeah. sooner. Or, um, but, and I've seen a lot of interesting things this week from, from other people, um, you know, quotes from Putin, right. About um, invading Ukraine and how, um, you know, he's just looking out for his country's interest the same way the U S was looking out for its interest when it invaded Iraq because of weapons of mass destruction that didn't exist and these sorts mm-hmm. of things. Mm-hmm. And you, it's very important, you know, that we take a, a meta view of these things, you know, without off the cuff condemning uh, one group or another, but saying, what is the purpose or the reason for why a country took an action? Yeah. Not yeah. what the U S is doing is right because it's the U S no, no. or what Russia is doing is wrong because it's Russia. Right. But what is the purpose behind why they're doing this? And then looking at it with, through the philosophical paradigms we've examined agreed. through ethics and, uh, and agreed. These other because it's even, even in Russia, we know that there are people who are protesting. There are people who are cheering. There, there there's a leadership going all kinds of different directions about this. Yeah. It's a very dangerous um, thing to associate all of Russia with the autocratic government, you know, um, the same way it's dangerous to, you know, we've experienced that over, you know, the past five, six years, right. We've had, you know, Donald Trump, and then we've come to, to Biden and, and there's definitely been a half of the country for each amount of those times that have said, this guy doesn't represent who we are and what we're interested in. Right. Right. And, and so and to, to essentially say one person cannot represent, the complex totality of millions and millions of people. Right. You know, that that's, but uh, the one other, the quick thought is, is that this, this, what you just said plays out in another part of star Wars. When we have, uh, you know, the, the first movie in the, the newest triad of, <laughs> uh, and, and so a stormtrooper who rejects being a stormtrooper. Yeah. Right. And, and that's, you can't judge all stormtroopers. I love that because you can't look at every one of those face those faceless white masks and say, "Yeah, they all feel the same thing." Um, no, maybe not. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's an, an important thing. And like I said, we'll de- we'll dive deeper into that when we do an episode on war. But mm-hmm. I think that for the quick takeaway from this is, um, it's very important to keep separate, but also 
examine the interplay between the individuals and the allegiances that they hold and how that interacts with conflicts that they have with other um, entities and individuals mm-hmm. uh, corporately. Mm-hmm. Child, this is unacceptable. I will eliminate the enemy and you will escape. You don't have that kind of... <laughs> so <laughs> I, I stopped it a little bit late there um, the first time, but basically the IG droid comes in and he says, all right, well, listen, you know, you can't be captured, so I'm going to just eliminate the enemy. And I should I stopped a little bit too soon here, but Mandalorian says, listen, pal, you don't have that kind of firepower. You wouldn't see daylight, right? <laughs> um, assuming that what the IG droid is saying is is that he's going to just go out there and, and blast all the enemy and they're gonna be they're gonna be safe. <laughs> um now that's kind of that's kind of interesting, right? Let's we'll play it a little bit before. Our pal. He wouldn't even get to daylight. That is not my objective. We're getting close. Settle up. And he turned and he and he was surprised. Yeah. You got a mask on an actor. How an actor can convey <laughs> suddenly what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I didn't expect you to say that. Right. You, and you can sense the undertone of, of disdain in, in what he says. You don't have that kind of firepower, pal. You wouldn't even see daylight, right? Yeah. And um That's not my intent. <laughs> right. And yeah, he says that's that's not his intent, and it get, it gets the Mandalorian's attention there. Mm-hmm. Um so what he's was we'll see, what he's sort of suggesting is that he's he's going to um self-destruct right and they're getting they're getting close to the end here so they have to make they have to make some quick decisions and notice the pairing i didn't because you know if you don't stop and look at the 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 choreography of a scene you after you've enjoyed a film and everything fine but when you can do it in this way this is where it gets really fascinating Uh, look at the pairing he's uh, ig is standing right in front Almost in exactly the same position as the the gondola droid that she blasted. Okay, right. there's one. Now here's another droid. You know, and it's like, oh, the droids are lining up too. Right, right. And but also, what's interesting is what happened right before that. So she says that they're they're coming up on the on the end and stuff, and she just tosses him the child, their most precious asset. Right. She just hands it over to him. So. It is. It's this interesting dichotomy, right, where the value of the droid's existence is is downplayed, right? But at the same time, he's entrusted with his duty fully. It's so, utter in flux. It's utter. It's a collision. Yeah. It's a collision. Mandalorian doesn't stop her from putting that Grogu in his arms, I, even though the... IG said, uh, it's not my intent to see daylight. Okay, so I've just handed the most precious person on this mission into the hands of some, something, somebody, something that, that says, I'm, I'm not going to make it out of this. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that this is a good time to talk about this sort of idea of AI. And this, um, for you listeners, we're gonna, I'm going to have a great episode this week with... Um, a, a neuroscientist who um, studies the interactions um, and the similarities and differences between the human brain and AI. Um, so be looking for that one in the feed. Um, and this is kind of something that is important in that regard. Um, again, like we talked about, she had zero 
um, hesitation to blow the head off of the gondola droid. Mm-hmm. And even in, you know, in, in a, a format as tame as Star Wars, you know that that would not seem, it would not have happened if that was a human gondola mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. In most forms of media, it, that would not have happened if it was a human, but it's a droid, so now we'll blast it, right? But at the same time, like you just said, this Mandalorian who has this disdain for droids, who doesn't even really trust droids, doesn't care that the one thing that he cares about most, his most precious asset is handed over to it. He has his back turned to him. Mm -hmm. Like you said, the droid is planning to self-destruct. So it seems as if the distrust isn't complete. The distrust only extends to certain aspects of the droid's behavior. At some level, I think that there's an understanding that the droid follows its programming. It's going to um, fulfill its responsibilities. It's not going to act erratically in some regards. But at the same time, so then we question, well, so what is the Mandalorian's mindset towards this droid then? If he has a distrust of him, (laughs) if he has a disdain for him is a knee-jerk reaction that he just defaults to the script right which often happens in political dialogue rather than to actually have a conversation where yeah we don't know where he is on this also another mighty disturbing element about this for me and we've talked about her just blasting the other one the other one didn't have her language this one speaks that one doesn't. Thus, this is more humanized than that one, even though that one is just pushing a cart along and this, a boat along, and this this one was a, a former assassin. It's remarkable what it says about language. It's remarkable what it says about, oh, making the assumption that something is more like us just because it can speak. Right. And again, with, with what's happening in Ukraine, there's been a lot of questions raised about refugees, right? So why are we, why is Europe so willing to accept these Ukrainian refugees, but people from Syria or Afghanistan or these other places have been turned away? Yeah. And it's I think that you're right. There's, there's something, you know, there's the aesthetic quality of somebody looking different, but I think there's also a quality of, of the language component as well. And you know what? I, I think that you see that happen in America as well. Um, when you look at um, urban, some urban cultures, right? There are some African-American people that regardless of their level of intelligence or education or empathy or whatever, if they speak from a certain aspect versus another one, how they are seen by other people is greatly... And if we expand that to to every single one of us, I mean... if if you're somebody in the north and you go south, hmm. see how people react to the the, the speed of your right of your words, the choice of your words. It's it's endemic to all of us. It's endemic to all of us, and we so easily make judgments based on that the superficiality of language. And that's why I think this is important. She, she doesn't know anything about this creature except that oh, it uses words like she does, but it doesn't sound like her. She doesn't talk like this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 yeah. And then of course it takes me completely. This is totally uh, seemingly irrelevant to a film called Ice Age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when, but I'll talk about that later. <laughs> Yeah, no, it is just interesting. It comes back to what we were saying at the beginning that, that, Ice Age. Yep. that uh, the galaxy is a big place. And mm-hmm. so even these people that look the same or, you know, are in our humans, um, they're 
their cultural context being from different worlds or different continents or different parts of a continent, much like us in real life, um, that has ways of establishing certain boundaries or certain interactions. Our way of saying something is better. Where we come from is just naturally better. Why? Because we're used to it. Our way of sounding is, you know, it was not ice age, it was up. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. Where the, the dog, the yeah. dog, <laughs> and the lights because <laughs> and the, the other dogs are laughing at it because, oh, alpha dog, you don't sound very powerful. Right. Yeah. Well, let's give IG that little clown like voice and see how seriously we take him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, just um, I'm thinking about my own experiences um, with this sort of thing. Like, I remember when I was in Europe being in, in Serbia, right? And, um, you know, from an American standpoint, right? Walking down the street and and not seeing anything out of place. And then having one of my friends tell me, oh, you can't cross the street here. Me saying, well, why? They said, well, because those are Hungarians on the other side of the street and we don't interact with them. And then I noticed, oh, there's a lot of shorter, dark haired people on one side of the street. And there's a lot of taller, light haired people on the other side of the street. And you know, they have different churches and different bars and they don't talk to each other. They don't interact, right? Was the, was the, the signage such that it wouldn't say this is different? Was the signage pretty much the same on both sides of the street? It's been so long that I, I don't remember. And, hmm. and I, I, don't, I didn't speak a lot of the language. Um, yeah. But and when I was in the army, I was um, friends with a, a, a brilliant guy um probably the the smartest guy i served with he also going for a phd in psychology and and he was born in belarus um but he told everybody that he was russian and um he ended up having a, a very weird story where um when he was in kindergarten some people came in and they took measurements of all the kids and they said to him you're going to be an olympic swimmer and so his whole life he was trained for this he didn't end up doing well and his mother was was scared for them, so they f- they flee the country and come to the U.S. Um, and but after all that, um, I remember asking him why why do you tell people that you're Russian? And he said, because it seems to me that being Russian is something to be proud of, but Belarus means nothing. Hmm. So that's an interesting element to it as well, uh, considering what's going on over there, right? There's a lot of false flags operations going on with the Russians where they're, they're saying that there's people that, that want to be part of Russia and right, that there's right. these, these governments that, are, um, that are, are holding them down. And those are, those are real, accurate reports. But there is also this element of the Soviet Union that does hang over some of these smaller Eastern European You're countries. You're just a satellite. You're right. just whatever we want you to be. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's almost, you know, it's it's sort of similar to an abusive relationship where oh, yeah. regardless of what the truth of the matter is or the value of of these these groups, there's there's this thing that, well, the only great moment we had was when we were part of this bigger thing, you mm-hmm. know? And the and the and the the, the, the it's, to me it's ugly, the ugly notion of well. You look like us, you sound like us, you have the same institutions, so of course you're us. Hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's complicated, complicated. Yeah, for sure. Don't have the security protocols from my manufacturer. If my designs are compromised, I must self-destruct. What are you talking about? So, 
now DIG droid finally reveals his plan, right? He mm-hmm. says, listen, I'm, my plan isn't to go out there and just shoot all the stormtroopers and have us be safe. I know that that's not possible, right? Mm-hmm. But my original programming is that, you know, I am a sensitive piece of property, so I cannot be captured and have my secrets of how I'm built revealed. You know, it's like, it's like a drone or, you know, a a nuclear submarine, right? Like you can't just hand that over to the enemy. If, if there's the danger of that happening, it it has to be destroyed. Right. I'm I'm just, I'm laughing when you, 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 yeah, you've, you've hit a point with that. What an utter capitalistic. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Because we, uh, I am owned. And, and my secrets can't be revealed. I cannot be captured. Kara, earlier, moments earlier in real time, says, I can't surrender. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, he's surrounded with people who are removing his options. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so think about that. So Kara Dune says she can't be captured. IG-11 says he can't be captured. But if you think about their, their positions right now, Cara Dune is actively in the employ of, of the New Republic. The IG-11 droid has essentially been freed. Mm-hmm. Um, early, I think it was the first episode, actually, he was going after the child. Right. The, you know, and then the Mandalorian defeats him, turns him. He no longer has some master, some overlord. He's, he's essentially an autonomous, not autonomous, because he's been programmed to be a nurse droid, right? He had but a this, this group is this group is the only group that he's responsible for. Yes. But yes. he's saying deep in his programming, there's still that thing that says I can't be he can't be captured, right? And that is interesting, looking at the parallels between the human soldier fighting for a new republic and this droid who um had an overlord and now doesn't. But, um, unless he's I'll throw a wrench into the works unless he's using that as the simplest way to say this is what I'm willing to do. Right. I'll just tell you that it's built in because then you can't argue with it because you just accept that it's all built into my programming. But what if when he was reprogrammed it wasn't? But he's using that as a <laughs> Yeah, and we'll see that a little bit further here. Not permitted to be captured. I must be destroyed. Are we gonna keep talking or are we gonna get out of here? <laughs> I can no longer carry this for you. Nor can I watch over the child. So, I think that what we just saw plays into what you said, right? Mm-hmm. You can see that, um, you know, he's he's using that deep programming, I think, as as a cover for, like you said, this saying, I'm willing to do this. This is what pre- I can do. And it makes me wonder, right? As we talk about AI and consciousness and this sort of thing, is this just as a result of his programming as a nurse droid, or is this an autonomous decision by a, a semi or fully conscious yeah. thing, yeah. right? Um, and that's where I lean. <laughs> yeah, because you know his, his programming is to protect the child, and so he's done all the calculations and said, "Listen, you know we can't win by fighting." Um, and he said, "You know the the child ends up." dead and this is not acceptable right (laughs) but rather than using that as the the excuse for why he's going to self-destruct right which would be a a, that would still be a logical um conclusion to come to oh well they're going to capture the child that's unacceptable i'm going to destroy myself but instead 
he brings up this original programming where he can't be captured or destroyed. He doesn't make it about Grogu. No, he doesn't. So I and feel maybe like that's how he thinks. Maybe that's how he thinks he reaches the Mandalorian because he has a prejudice about the Mandalorian. Right. Uh, based on what the Mandalorian said to him, if you accrue all the things that he said about him, okay, you understand one thing, the manufacturer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that, I think that that leans, that makes me lean towards him being a conscious autonomous individual, mm-hmm. because if it, you know, if he was, if it was just the programming, I think that he would have used the child being captured as the sole excuse. But instead he, def- he defaults to this prior programming which it probably shouldn't even be in his current programming or consciousness, right? It, it should be something that was buried or erased, but yeah. he brings that up as the excuse um, to, to not make it about the child in his explanation. And look at the programming. layout of the seed. I mean, this is Caridon's, she's turned away. She's out of this conversation. We can mm-hmm. take care of this out here. Grogu is almost eyebrows <laughs> raised, maybe being surprised by the. Well, of, and of course, the Mandalorian's looking up at because IG is, is is much taller. But I can't help but look at this and say, okay, there's some respect implied in that in that uh, physicality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't self destruct. Your base command is to watch the child. That supersedes your manufacturer's protocol, right? Right. This is correct. So now there's a change, right? The last time the Mandalorian talked to the IG droid, and we've been going on for so long that it, it doesn't seem that way. Yeah, right. <laughs> but the last thing that he said to him was, you don't have that kind of firepower, pal. You wouldn't see daylight. You know, this dismissive, disdainful um, thing that we is the only thing that we've seen throughout throughout the series in his interactions with him, this distrust of the droid. Mm-hmm. But like you said, once the IG droid said that it wasn't his plan to shoot his way out. And you saw the surprise on this helmeted, completely closed off character. You saw the surprise. Now something has changed in the Mandalorian and how he's relating to this droid. And his default is to reason with him, right? So he goes back to, to the programming, right? He says, Hey, no, you forget your original programming. Like you're, you're programmed to be a nurse droid and that supersedes this other programming, doesn't it? Right. So he's trying to dissuade him. And, um, and I think that that comes back to the IG droids train of logic. I think it won the Mandalorian over this. this I, I, I very much do too. And there's an inversion here, science fictionally. And I, this is perhaps going to be too, um, obscure but in the original star trek episode which i was party to because i'm that old uh and still go back and watch the many episodes in which captain kirk outthinks a computer and tells it to blow itself up uh in order for the good of the of the society or whatever because he's determined that <laughs> to heck with the prime directive all right there's a wonderful inversion in this in which the machine is determined to blow itself up, and he's going to try to outlogic it, and it's not going to work. Right. But he wants to outlog. So yes, there's a big, big change here. Yeah, and you know we've talked about the lack of value put on the droids' lives so far, but now the Mandalorian, as a human, is putting a value on the droids' life. That, as we'll see in in the next few lines of dialogue, might not might not actually exist. Mm-hmm. 
Maybe it does based off of what we've seen and what we've talked about, but maybe it doesn't. Now grab a blaster and help us shoot our way out. Victory through combat is impossible. We will be captured. The child will be lost. Sadly, there is no scenario where the child is saved in which I survive. And so, you know, again, we cut, we catch the tail end of the Mandalorian saying, listen, grab a blaster and help us out. Like, you know, we're basically, we're all in this together, right? You're, you are a part of our group. We're not letting you do this thing. Right. Um, Even so though he knows that it can't work. It would be an act of futility. Be part of the team, even though we're all going to die together. I think it's really interesting whether it's ironic or or, or directly intended when he, he says, sadly, there is no outcome in which I survive or the child survives and I do as well. I'm paraphrasing, but you know, sadly, I'm going to die. Sadly. Right. Just the word sadly. It, yeah. Implying a consciousness. Right. And we'll see a little bit more of that in the next couple lines. And what about that makes it ironic? Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, so I mean, it's he's so now the the droid is using logic back on the Mandalorian, and he, he's sort of outdone him. Yes. <laughs> now, what's interesting about this to me, and and in the course of any action movie, right? If if we as logical, reasonable viewers see these action scenes unfold, um. There's this sort of suspension of disbelief in terms of risk calculation, right? You see these action heroes pull off these crazy stunts, barely get missed, barely hit the, the other guys, do all this stuff. Um, and it's it's happening in the moment. There's no forethought to none of this. It's just reaction and instinct and training and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, now, the moment that they have some time to do some planning, they have some time to do some some of this... They've they've already given up, essentially, right? And if you see the number of stormtroopers outside the cave, um, based off of other scenes in The Mandalorian, it doesn't seem all that far-fetched to think they could just blast them all, right, and be fine. And then the directors could have written that. And we would have lost <laughs> the meaning of this scene. We would have. Um, but it makes you wonder, you know, how are they doing these calculations? What, what about what The Mandalorian saw originally made him say the combat was impossible? And what sort of calculations does the ig droid do that confirms that suspicion mm-hmm. um and this is an important part of artificial intelligence right when we talk about self-driving cars we talk about um you know ai drone strikes those types of things is what sort of information is being used to make decisions yes and um there's yes. there's a large part of um of the community that's saying that's the one thing you won't be able to hand over to these things is that no human decision-making is always going to be necessary. You can hand off tasks to to AI, but you always need the human decision-making. But then you wonder, well, where's human decision-making got us? (laughs) That's a a beautiful, you've done well with that. I have a quick question of minutia, a minutia question. How many people in a platoon? Didn't he say it was a platoon? Yeah. Yeah. A platoon. Um, A platoon is um, general. It varies. Um, so it, it depends on the number of squads that it's made up of. It depends on how many people are in a squad. Okay. Um, but generally uh, in the army, um, we, we'd say there's usually eight people in a squad and there's usually four squads in a platoon. So you're looking at 32 stormtroopers. Okay. Somewhere. Because when we get to the end of the scene, there are 32 people. No, no, that's it. Okay. No, and more elite <laughs> units will have less. So if this is an elite 
stormtrooper unit, you might only have four guys per squad. So you might have 16, and that looks more accurate. But the word platoon sounds more threatening than the word squad. Yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> okay. yeah. a platoon is generally going to be about four times bigger than, than okay. a squad. Listen, you're not going anywhere. We need you. Let's just come up with it. Please tell me the child will be safe in your care. If you do so, I can default to my secondary command. But you'll be destroyed. So now the Mandalorian comes back at the IG droid, but with emotion. Yeah. So the logical plea failed, and he's making an emotional plea to something that doesn't have emotions. Or does, or does it? it? Where are we? You know, where are we landing on this? Where are we? What has this droid done um, to either win us over to the conclusion that it's merely a machine that's following programming, or it's an autonomous, conscious entity that is um, capable of experiencing the world in an effective way? A very, very clever subtle shift mm-hmm. in a in a scene that's overtly let's hurry up and get ready so we can blast them before they blast us but underneath all of that it's incredibly meaningful <laughs> yeah and so after after the mandalorian tries to make that that emotional plea um the ig droid just completely ignores it right mm-hmm. and he just hammers on that point you know can you tell me that the child will be safe so that I can execute my first programming? And so now you're seeing, again, in something that makes us sort of lean towards a conscious entity, mm-hmm. He, when he made the logical plea, he kept the child out of it. But now that the, the conversation has changed into an emotional aspect, he's making it all about him. He's saying, can you keep him safe? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know what's the Mandalorian going to say? No, I you know I can't I can't do it. You know, like he, no, he, he that that's his, his one job. Right? <laughs> he, so you know he's he has to. And you will live, and I will have served my purpose. No, we need you. There's nothing to be sad about. I've never been alive. I'm not sad. Yes, you are. I'm a nurse droid. I've analyzed your voice. <laughs> Yeah, so I think we were talking about before the show, my wife bust out laughing at at that part. And it is, it's funny, right? Um, Because of this, uh, you know, like like you said um, earlier, it's funny that he said, sadly, I'll be destroyed. It's ironic because here he says, don't be sad, I'm not alive. And and that, I think that is totally ironic delivered. He's, He's essentially... Uh, taking a poke at the Mandalorian when the Mandalorian is at his most vulnerable, uh, I think, to, to say, well, don't worry, you never did. You you don't think I'm alive. Right. When you bloody well now know that I am. I yeah. think that's a really big uh, change. Yeah, it makes you wonder, is it is it is it that sort of dig that's that's sending home to the Mandalorian that that he is something that has some value? Yeah. Or um is it a way of helping the Mandalorian cope with what is going to be his loss. I think this is clever enough, sophisticated enough to be both. Yeah. Both of those things are happening. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, and you know, it's, it's interesting because the IG droid sees this outcome as satisfactory for his program. He says, I will have served my purpose. 
It makes you wonder now that we've examined this and looked at the capabilities of, of the droid, mm-hmm. is that ethical, right? Is it, is, is that programming ethical? Um, you know, if you think about his primary, primary purpose as an assassin droid, it makes sense. It's logical mm-hmm. for them, him to have that programming so that his secrets aren't revealed. But given the capabilities that he has and the, what, what sort of uh, faculties he has to experience things, is it ethical to, to put this thing in saying you must destroy yourself if you're going to, if you're going to be taken out of our possession, you know? Uh, well, uh, and, and as one person, I'd say, well, no, of course not. <laughs> but, but he's, but I think, again, I think he's talking on two, two levels at the same time. I will have served my purpose. Well, if I'm a, if I'm a, a conscious being and I have been programmed to, uh, learn that my purpose is to care or I have superseded that programming and, and embraced the idea that I, I care and can contribute and who knows how far back his, his, his killing of assassinations have gone. I, I'm not that close to the canon that I know that uh, of star Wars. So am I ba- balancing all the, the death that I brought uh, Maybe I'm satisfying my purpose by finally doing something good yeah and here is going to be the sort of tipping point that that will put us over the edge this <laughs> right here <laughs> precisely well, you know how this expression of affection um I don't think that that exists if you're, even if you're a nurse droid with program, maybe it does. Maybe his nurse droid programming says, listen, the child is in, is going to be in distress from what it's about to see. So you need to provide a preemptive comfort before you execute this task. Yeah, I don't buy that. <laughs> I, I don't think that I do either. But, you know, and it seems that he does that for his own, um, his own purpose. It was between them. It was a, a contact. Yes. Um, I I have enjoyed you. Yes, I care about you. Um, yes, you require this, and nobody else is doing this. As I, I do buy that part, but I don't think it was instructive. Mm-hmm. I think it was. Yeah, and there was the moment of hesitation afterwards, where you see his eyes almost kind of searching his face a little bit, mm-hmm. and he pauses before he turns. Yeah, and so that whole that whole just that little scene right there is is pretty powerful in it terms is. of the arguments that you can make for. Consciousness. What, yeah, what the droid is, is like. IG! What are you doing? of music is always critically important in any 
any film, TV series, whatever. We know that. We, mm. I, I collect soundtracks because I, not because I because I love to hear this symphonic or whatever genre it is. Uh, it's it is evocative of emotions. We're supposed to feel a certain way. So, had we not supposed to be thinking that this is a conscious being making an independent choice, we wouldn't have had that heroic walking through the lava music <laughs> to to go out there. I, I that one just that tipped it for me uh, utterly. You know, to me, this sort of brings back our questions about reality Mm -hmm. right because we understand that you know we have these thoughts we have these emotions and that um we we perceive these things to be real and we we um, ascribe that to other individuals as well right that that you are a real person with thoughts and emotions Mm -hmm. and we have these interactions um and then so that's it's not clear cut to philosophers, and we've talked about all these shades of what they what philosophers think about reality. Mm-hmm. Um, but general, what's generally accepted by people, right, is that we as humans have these these complex feelings. Um, but what's not examined so much by humans is how um, not only what's happening in the minds of other creatures, you know, other animals or other robots or ai or these things but also an important question that says if we as as human beings ascribe these feelings and these thoughts to them regardless of whether or not they have them does it make them any less real mm. all right <laughs> so maybe yeah, maybe question. maybe the ig droid is right right maybe he says you know don't be sad I, I was never alive. Like I never did this. Like this is just my programming. I'm just doing it. Maybe that's true, right? Yeah. But the Mandalorian was sad, right? <laughs> yeah. He was sad that it was happening. Grogu is, is going to be sad that it happened. All of these people are going to be grateful for his sacrifice. They're going to miss him, um, yeah. not just for the firepower he provided, but for the care he took of of Grogu and his, their things and all of this other stuff. Right. Um, and that's an interesting philosophical question, right? Is obviously there's the question of the droid himself and if he's conscious or if he's following some programming and what that, what that says ethically about him. But there's also the the flip side of that, which is that regardless of what his reality is, if these other characters have ascribed some sort of reality to, to him, um, is, are those feelings valid? Well, and that's such a deep, deep, brilliant question because among other reasons because if it's true of us interacting with a as humans with a robot a machine or whatever um how much do we ascribe to other people as you're what you go where you're going is how much do we create what what we what want you to be or what we think you are and we and we never truly know that that as you said that is the that's way down in full fathom five in in philosophy. Yeah, I mean, because that's the thing is, um, you know, it, it comes back to that sort of Cartesian skepticism, right? Mm-hmm. And saying, mm-hmm. well, I think, therefore I am. Well, what does that do to other other perspectives and other entities and things? You know, you're saying that 
you know, the only thing that I can trust is my own thoughts, essentially, right? And philosophically, that's a very powerful statement. And you can make arguments against it, but you can also make powerful arguments for it. And so if if my thoughts are what actually exist and how I ascribe those thoughts to other things is my reality, um, then that's going to shape reality, right? And it, it's going to shape not only, um, you know, the interpersonal interactions you have, but the ideolo- ideologies you support and how decisions are made on a, yeah. on a global scale and, and all of these things. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's very powerful, um, very powerful stuff. I so, like this scene. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, the IG walks through the lava. Um, and again, you know, I wonder if he's performed some sort of calculations to, to let him know that his legs will carry him that far. Like how did he know he wasn't going to just sink right to the bottom, you know, just melt right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, and another interesting question is why didn't the stormtroopers shoot right when when he appeared? You know, like you know what was going through their heads? Well, <laughs> you know? I, I I was wondering that same thing freshly. Uh, I don't think that it occurred to me to wonder before watching this and and, and the, the way that we're doing it. Um, they obviously employ IG droids. Mm-hmm. Um, it's but they don't shoot first and ask questions later it has them off kilter because it hasn't come out shooting so maybe it's going to share some piece of information with them and then it further distracts them which is what i would argue for the consciousness it makes the decision to further distract them but it doesn't have to say anything it can just unload that the the mine and and blow up oh keep paying attention to me don't watch what i'm doing that what i'm about to do is because i'm programmed to be this way blah 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 you know yeah. no chance for you to run away and recover uh, yeah it's, it's um it's interesting wondering what they were thinking you know maybe they had orders to to capture so maybe they weren't and, but you know and that that raises that that question again right if they were assuming if you're the good guys right and you're assuming that they have orders to capture the child um, then you would have to drop on them combat-wise because they would have their hands tied as far as how much force they could apply to you as opposed to how much you can apply to them. And that never came up in the conversation. No. And again, you know, maybe it's because it was just such a quick scene. Um, maybe it's because of the danger presented, you know, that just right. had them so so riled up. Because if we watched it through again, it's two minutes. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, it's not it's like... long. It's not long. Um, and again, that's very applicable to everyday life, right? I, you and I have talked about it several times off off air, where um, we'll just say, "Man, I did this thing the other day, and I don't know what I was thinking." Like, yep. you know, in retrospect, just it's funny how much difference a few seconds can make. A few seconds of reflection mm-hmm. to say, "Oh no, that's a terrible idea." But if you don't have those couple seconds, or if you don't take those couple seconds, um, the decisions you end up making. Um, can have drastically different ends, and this this could be one of them. You know, maybe maybe that they they ride out and then they get the first shot. Um, there's no need for the IG droid to sacrifice himself. You know, who who's to say? Yeah, exactly. And um, or what if what about if he walked out and shot him up? And then they pulled him out of the lava and got him some new legs, right? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's a, there's alternative scenarios here, um, but yeah, that's I mean that's essentially the the end of the scene 
Do you have anything else that you think we missed or anything else we should add in before we wrap it up? Only one quick thing. I, I, I won't go on at length about this. I'm going to make a click with my flashlight. Um, um, to see this note, I'm not going to read this off, but it's just a basic note that occurred to me. This this scene is about redemption. And, and Nietzsche was, well, the people said of Nietzsche, if you didn't find uh, an, an opposition, him arguing with himself and disagreeing and shooting it down two or three times in one page, then you weren't really reading him. Hmm. Uh, but uh, he said that the redemption is part of a contradictory state of being. And, and I thought about the word redeem. And the word, the word redeem means to buy out. So do we, do we see IG as redeeming himself and follow that, that I said before, if we killed so many people and what, whatever. Uh, it means to buy out, to, to purchase a slave's freedom. Hmm. And in Christian uh, teaching, it's, it's to purchase your way uh, through the blood of Christ, for instance, out of, out of the slavery of sin. But, but it's still that purchase in one metaphorical sense or another so to me i can read this as this is the way ig redeems himself by saying i'm not a killer i will be one more time that i won't after that i'm not a nanny i'm not what any of you have programmed to me this is what i can do because this is what i can do yeah that's man that's a that's a really fascinating thing yeah, I, I didn't even think about that, the definition of, of redemption. And it brings up, uh, you know, again, the discussion we've had on ethics, right? Yes. Is, um, you know, he's redeeming himself, right? So we look at this scene, we, we think that it's sad, uh, you know, the IG droid is dying and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. But we don't know what the IG droid has done, right? And how much red would he have to have in his ledger beforehand for us to say, you know what, I'm not even sad that he's gone, you know? Would there come a point where that those scales tip like that? Where you know, you know what? After all the terrible things he's done in his past, good. You know, see you later. This is the least he could have done. You know. But the director and the scriptwriter don't let us tip that. Right, and I think that that's an important artistic decision mm -hmm. that has implications for our our personal lives. Right. You know, there's um, there are certain parts of history um, that that we've all committed. Um, and, you know, and it's kind of like we were talking about, the you know, if I had a couple extra seconds to think about something, I would have done something differently. Yeah. When you look at your life in totality, especially the older you get um, and you start to look at the context that you grew up in um, or the experiences that you had that shaped you into the person you were. And you, you start to look at things and say, man, I, I've done some I've done some bad things like I've done some some terrible, immoral, unethical things. But that recognition and then your actions in the current time frame um, are more indicative of the person that you are than who you were when you did something else. Right? And this is a huge issue that we've been talking about throughout the show with several times. It is. Uh, George R. R. Martin, in his novels, uh, in one of the uh, the Clash of uh, the Clash of Kings novel in the Game of Thrones. A good act does not wash out the bad, nor a bad act the good. Each should have its own reward. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. That's a good place to stop. Yep. So until next time, keep pondering.